This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Amy Beth Shaver here with your man in the field, Larry Taunton. <laughs> Every time something happens yes. pre-show. Yes, we were discussing my dog breaking wind. Um, so um, <laughs> this was the lead-in uh, to the show. It is not a topic of discussion. At all. At all. Uh, but it was the lead-in uh, to the show. So once again, we're giggling like uh, juveniles. But anyway, I'm great. How are you? I love the pink jacket. Thank you. I think it's pink. It, it, you know what? It is. And I can't even fool you because we pulled the whole it's orange, you know, last time. <laughs> and it wasn't even orange. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very much. Yep. It's my it's my thrift store jacket. And like a Def Leppard shirt or something. Listen, it spoke to me. Yeah, child of the 80s. I said, this has to this has to happen. Chris saw it and he's like, um, you are buying that shirt, right? I'm like, yes. An homage. You know, that would be great if we did a photo shoot and we did it in homage to the 80s. You know, that would be interesting. That would be fabulous, Larry. We need to do that. That would be that would be good. We mm-hmm. could do a photograph. <laughs> he really could. Oh. It's Def Leppard. It's just a little reference to Def Leppard. You know what? If you grew up in the 80s, you appreciate this very much. Go. And you are with us and you're shaking your head. And, and you may even go right this moment yep. and find your favorite 80s tune. Yep. So you did a Latimer House luncheon. Yeah. Yeah, I did yesterday. Um, we Latimer House luncheons, those who are familiar with Fixed Point Foundation um, may be familiar with this, even if they don't know they're familiar with it. Meaning, if you've listened or watched a lot of our content, um, sometimes it's in the setting of a Latimer House luncheon. Right. And we've had some very interesting guests over the years. Uh, Christopher Hitchens has been a Latimer House luncheon um, speaker. Richard Dawkins uh, we've had for a Latimer House luncheon event. Uh, Professor John Lennox. Uh, Ian Hutchinson, the uh, the scientist, Hugh Ross, the astrophysicist. Oh, wow. um, gosh, we've had uh, uh, you know a variety of judges, politicians, you name it. And um, so we've reinstituted them. We brought them back uh, just a couple of months ago. And yesterday I was speaking on the question: Is socialism Christian? And that that may be something that we end up discussing on the show. The answer, by the way, the Cliff Notes is no. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your tweet about that, and I was like, "Well, that's there you go. There you go. That's the ultimate Cliff Notes." There you version. go. I'll, I got up and I said, "You know, today's lecture is is socialism Christian? No." Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. I wish I would have been able to uh, be there and listen to it. So what were some of the questions that you got about that at the end? Because I know you do Q&As. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the most common misconception on that issue is, I mean, for instance, somebody, and, and I was waiting for this, but somebody goes to, I think it's Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, mm. and then Acts chapter Four, where it says they shared things in common. And so people say, hey, that's socialism. 
So they think that socialism is just sharing things. It's an equal distribution mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. wealth. That's not socialism. And what you see in Acts, uh, as distinct from actual socialism, is socialism is defined by, you know, the means of production are owned mm -hmm. by the state mm -hmm. and are supposedly, it never happens this way, redistributed, you know, more uh, equitably. Right. But what you're seeing in Acts is is not government seizure of right. um, of wealth. It is people choosing to yes. give. So yes. so there's it's a big, volitional exactly. So socialism is uh, government seizure, redistribution as they choose, often for very godless purposes. Whereas um, in the Christian model, it's volitional. We we choose to give. And we should never divorce that from the gospel. So, for for instance, you know, the, the state can can take your money and fund Planned Parenthood or give billions to Ukraine or, you know, um, you know, decide to to bring in a topic for today, uh, millions of immigrants uh, illegally into this country. Whereas when you're giving, you're deciding where it's going, yes. and hopefully your 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 move to give for a Christian reason and for uh, to, to bring honor and glory to God. So it's it's always coupled, you know, with the gospel. And people don't seem to understand that. Mm. Have there been any just completely out of left fields that you've gotten on that topic at events like that, that you're like, okay, uh, no. I mean, um, people trying to trip you up when they're asking questions about Christianity and socialism. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that yeah. foil that's always in the audience? Yeah, I uh, I guess we haven't had that. I'm trying to think about that for Latimer House luncheons. I can't recall anyone. It's generally a pretty... Home They're pretty crowd. awesome people. Yeah, it's it's generally coming. a home crowd for the uh, for the Latimer House luncheons. But I have definitely had that speaking on uh, university campus. I was speaking okay. at a church some years ago um, when a professor from and I'll I'll name the university Samford University, a a Our professor, school. a yes, a you know presumably a Christian comes and during the Q and A he stands up and decides to challenge me. Because he says that my, um, you know, my writing, uh, my book. This was the book I was speaking on, the Grace Effect. You know, it only deals with highbrow, you know, Christians. And I said, clear, clearly, you've not read the book because the book is about an orphan. <laughs> so, but it was it was odd because he was trying to say that we were elitists, and of course, we're really anything but elitists. And in fact, we're anti-elitist, which is why we don't like the World Economic Forum, which will be a discussion later. But anyway, yeah, I've, I've certainly had those people try to ambush you. Mm -hmm. I've had that a number of times. So you kind of go into it kind of halfway, you know, expecting yes. that somebody's going to come after you. So all the more reason to make sure you're pretty well armed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know... That's why uh, I'm teeing you up next time. <laughs> ready to go. She, no. She's going to be our speaker for the next Latimer House luncheon. <laughs> and I'm actually setting you up because it's a very hostile audience. <laughs> They're all going to be coming for your head. Terrible. <laughs> They're going to have questions you can't answer. No, this is very You're sweet, Amy Beth. Oh, gosh, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> Listen, I know... I was actually in the parking lot of my favorite shopping destination, Target, and somebody had just been to a Latimer House luncheon, or they were going, and it happened to be my high school. Uh, his wife was my English teacher, 
and he was my drama coach and debate teacher. And they were so excited because they're huge fans. They love your work. They were headed to the next one. So I have to reach out to them and say, well, very hey, good. And sir, you want to, y'all want to come to this one. Tell them we appreciate their interest in our elitist ministry. Absolutely. I love being a part of that. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, the funny thing is when people stand up and do things like that, because that happened to me when I was speaking in high schools, but mine was very many years ago. But there are always those people, though, that do like to stand up, that do like to challenge you. I had a teacher stand up in the middle of my talk when I was talking about character education, of all things. I'm like, this is ironic. Um, and, and you have to go toe-to-toe with them. Yeah. But they're trying to get theirs. And you're like, okay, if this makes you feel good for like 30 seconds, okay. But think about what you're doing. You're saying you're an elitist, and you're actually teaching at a school. Do you know how much tuition costs? Yeah. Like, how much are you paid? You know, so it's very ironic. But those sorts of things don't happen at Latimer you know, House because these people are amazing. No, it'll it'll be a uh, it'll be a home crowd. I'm I'm pretty sure, but I think that um, what you you should you know what you expect are people who are really they're they're leaning in they're mm-hmm. they're ready to be equipped they're ready to be armed, and so I think that's uh, that's a very important aspect of this. But when you're taking those kind of questions usually what you discover is at bottom, they're just making a statement. You know, the person I saw who I thought did the very best at this is when I was an undergraduate at, uh, at Samford University. Robert Bork had, mm. been, had been nominated for the Supreme Court, and he was speaking uh, on campus. And there were all these people who came to ambush him. And they set up mics, you know, on either side and then in the center. And... And it was hilarious how he just dismissed one after the other. Oh. And he did it, he did it with such a sense of humor. He did it graciously, like he, you know, he didn't humiliate any of them. Let's just put it this way: the humiliation they may have felt they brought on themselves. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't because of something he said to them. Uh, and he just dismissed one right after the other. And I thought, wow, he did that so easily. And I thought this guy has, you know, incredible intellectual horsepower. And man, I wish he'd have been put on the Supreme Court, but that's another issue. Well, I guess we can save it. All right, listen, don't go anywhere. We have several great things we're talking about today. Number one, Mike Lindell and the raids. What is that? (laughs) Helping people? Are we helping them? Are we enabling them? I don't know. And, And a few more things. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. ABS, Automatic Braking System, also known as Amy Beth Shaver, pumps the brakes. Welcome back, Larry. Yes. Well, it is now time for the ABS, Automatic Braking System, Amy Beth Shaver moment of the week. And I'm, I'm actually kind of giddy looking forward to this one because you've kept your notes carefully away from me so that I don't see what it's about. So, so the floor is yours. We have fessed something up together. Um, maybe not on the show, but All I, the good stuff is not on the show. It's true. And so now I'm going to let everybody in. Impatient drivers. Ah, I'm one. Okay, I'm one. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm telling on myself, and this one really shazammed me. It was like the Lord was like, I see you, impatient driver. So if there's a backup on the road, I'm the first one. And even Chris is like, sweetie, you've like really become impatient. I'm like, I know. But this time I'm on the parkway headed to my house. I'm very happy to go home after the end of a long day. And there's a backup. And I'm like, what's the problem? Like, what is going on today? Like, I need to get home. I have, I have things to do. I'm, I'm a mom. 
And all of a sudden, you see it's not the Canadian geese, which are the usual reason for the backup. Oh, no. Oh, no. They were little tiny deer that were so small, I thought they were puppies going across the road. That small. And the mom, as I see at the last second, is waiting off in the brambles. Like, she's literally waiting for them to cross the road. And that's why it's all stopped. And I thought, now, isn't this sweet? If I had been in a hurry and I hadn't been behind somebody, I may have hit the baby Bambies, but I didn't. So I'm telling on myself and I'm seeing that if I just slow down and appreciate things uh, and stop being triggered by people not getting where they need to be, I may be a better person. I don't know. I have a lead foot. I drive too fast. I'm generally in a hurry. There's a song by Andy Minio called Coming In Hot. This is my theme song. But I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson this week that I need to slow down and pay attention to what's around me. Just so you know who you're talking to here. Do you and know how do you know how I'm hearing this? As a hunter, I know how you're hearing I'm this. Thinking, you're thinking, bow, gun, how I'm gonna take the mom out. I have a deer in my backyard right now. Her name is Daly because she comes to my house every day. We're friends, not really. But I know, I knew exactly how you were going to take I, this. I am thinking, you know, conservation. No, I know. So don't want you to hit those because we do need them to grow to adults so that they can be hunted. But um, <laughs> we are, <laughs> we are hunting. Deer season is just around the corner. It's two weeks away, right? Yes. It's, uh, in fact, yesterday I was in a uh, hunting store and a guy told me they were completely out of 30 alt six. Uh, around some because somebody had just come in and bought them all, bought all that they had. But yeah, um, I'm with you. I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm an impatient driver myself. And, um, you know, uh, you know, we got somebody over here um, <laughs> affirming that this, says is, yes. that this is true. Um, if by some chance we're wrong about the Christian faith, then Hinduism must be the truth because that would mean that that would mean that in my previous life I was like an IndyCar driver, you <laughs> know, too. or something like that. <laughs> um, because I, you know, my honestly, my my dream gift is to do, you know, uh, hint hint the Barber uh, Motorsports, yeah, one of those things. Yes, <gasps> I would love to get in a car and just go flat out yes. and just have so much Me fun too. doing that. I would love to do that. You know, the, 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 if somebody knew Daryl Waltrip, you know, maybe I could do the Daryl Waltrip, you know, driving experience. Maybe I could go to Talladega, you know, do it there. But hey, I'm open to Barber Mortar Sports. I'm open. If anybody out there would hint, like to hint. see us do a show, we would do that. Do a show from Larry. That would be so fun. If that we could do it fun. at Talladega, we that could do like Ricky so Bobby. Yeah. We could have a Talladega Nights. Like wear the suit and all the things. You could be. You could be in the passenger seat. My no, I'm driving. <laughs> my husband would say, "Oh no, please give my wife her own car," because I too believe that I was okay. an IndyCar car well, driver uh, in a previous life. Let's do it. He can. Follow Follow along in the Z71. <laughs> you know, he can and he'd be happy right there um, because the kids have a, a saying, and this is honest to God, uh, and, and this might actually get me tweeting. Um, if we're on a trip or we're heading somewhere, for example, when they were younger, we would take mega trips down to the Keys, Anna Maria, and I'd make them drive. And I'm like, we're not flying, we're driving because we're going to have a family road trip and we're, you're going to like it. But as we're walking out to the car early in the morning, they would look at me and they're like, you're driving, right? Because we want to get there. And yeah. I was like, yes. So 
you know. Sounds like a buddy of mine in graduate school. He always says, anytime we go anywhere, Larry drives. Yeah. Larry does the drive. You want me to drive. So, yes. Like, I'm safe. I know I how to get around it. I want you on that wall. You need me on that wall. <laughs> yes. You want me in that driver's seat. You need me you, in that driver's seat. You need seat. me in that driver's seat. Yep. Well, I'm glad you didn't kill the deer. I didn't. They so were they can two. be killed later and um, no. somebody can have venison burgers. You ever had venison no. burgers? No. I'm not going to have venison they're, burger. They're, I'm not going to have buffalo. I'm not going to have any good. of those. Now, my son-in-law is like you. He is waiting for those little bambies to grow and come to our backyard. I just had a young fella over at my house last night who asked if he could bring his bow. And I said, if you touch my deer daily, uh, you're not allowed to come back here. But you can bring some deer corn for me because she just kind of wanders and I let her do her thing. Our dogs are so lazy. They don't even care that she's there. Of course, it's And the, probably don't want to mess with her, Well, they're actually. the magical bull mastiff age where they literally don't care. And, uh, <laughs> Have you ever seen that very yes. funny viral video of the guy being attacked by a deer? <laughs> no. I mean, it's like it's up on its hind legs. It's, oh, yes. Is that how I've seen that? And the guy is just falling backwards, and it just keeps coming and coming. It's, 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 it's simultaneously so terrifying and funny. It's the, so funny. At the same time. But the guy, you know, is just getting battered by this thing, and it and it doesn't go away. It just keeps going at him. And there, there must be, you know, probably a fawn or something involved yes. that this – this buck is trying to protect, but it's it's a funny video. Don't want that to happen. No, no, we don't want that to happen. Nope. But um, for all the impatient drivers, here's to you. Um, you don't know what's on the other side of that backup. I'm glad it was pleasant and yeah. little baby deer. Yeah. That you're not going to kill. Good. I'm glad you didn't kill them. Yeah, I didn't. I'll just save that for whoever is going to get out there with a bow and arrow. That's a good ABS. So there you go. I like it. Okay. All right. I'm glad you do. So you know what? Um, I think that I'm going to pull my notes up here. Let's do this real quick because this is important before we get to helping people and talk about Mike Lindell yeah. and the raid. And I've heard, I could be very wrong. I hope somebody in our audience will tell us. I heard that it was at the Hardee's drive-thru where they seized his phone. So the FBI, while he's getting... A bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. With those wonderful hash rounds. With the wonderful hash rounds at Hardee's, the FBI raids Mike Lindell. Uh, by the way, if you go to MyPillow, use code FBI uh, <laughs> for a, <laughs> that was good. Uh, for that a was discount. Good. Four cups of coffee. For a discount. Today. You can use um, code um, Larry and Amy Beth. It'll get you nothing. Um, because we must be the only Christian, what do we call ourselves, influencers, commentators, who aren't supported by Mike Lindell. That's true. That kind of hurts my feelings a I, little bit. I actually saw Mike at, uh, at uh, Mar-a-Lago, and I thought it might be just a little crass if I came up to him and said, hey, Mike, you know, can I get my own code? Yeah. You know, so that people can order pillows. But I see everybody out there doing it. Metaxas does it. <clears throat> Dinesh D'Souza does it. Uh, you name it. Everybody does it. And I have to think that the pillow, that the conservatives are pretty well pillowed up by now. I would say so. So I would think, you know, that I would be a little too late to that party, you know, for us to get our own um, funding from Mike Lindell. But it is interesting to be serious that the, uh, that the FBI would be seizing Mike Lindell's um, a phone. 
And uh, the way I see this, and I'm curious as to the way you're reading it, but it it looks like, I mean, certainly the FBI has been radicalized and they have become a political weapon um, to intimidate and to uh, attempt to destroy the reputations of conservatives. But this this one, it's I, I keep saying that they've gone too far, you know, every time because right. they just keep going and going. But Mike Lindell, I mean, or do they fear Mike Lindell that much? Do they think his funding uh, of conservatives is such that they need to do this? Um, I just find it bizarre that the FBI is is this rogue? Is this out of control? I'm waiting for them to, you know, to swing through that. There are actual windows behind these curtains, you know, swing through, uh, repelling, you know, with a with their uh, uh, machine guns at the ready and uh, arrest us, seize our phones, our laptops, only to discover that we are fans of John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is terrifying. You know, you know, I know you're going to do a, a column on this in the future. It feels very fascist. Yeah. Um, that they're listening, they're watching. Anybody who has said anything about January 6th seems to be their target right now. I know, on, on another hand, that an Alabama group, because we are in the American South, has received a subpoena for something else that they did. <clears throat> but it's anything that comes against this progressive far left, very fascist agenda. But they're so tolerant. But they're, and they're so nice. Yeah, the compassion of the left. Oh, somebody tweeted me yesterday. The, they love us so much. Yeah, somebody tweeted me yesterday that the real compassion always comes from the left. And I, it was all I could do not to vomit, you know, uh, right there. Because I'm thinking, look at the hate that's being promoted um, in America from the left um, and uh, all the wicked things that are being done <clears throat> uh, by the left uh, in this country from the sexualization of children to the introduction of uh, Marxism into various aspects to society. Utter godlessness mm -hmm. that's driving it is, uh, is, is odd, and they will not allow uh, differences of opinion. Uh, all the more reason why we have to make sure that we continue to speak out and we continue to promote the truth. So I think this is uh, this is very important. And also on a serious note, we should pray for Mike Lindell because guys like this, so many conservatives are being targeted. My friend Dinesh D'Souza, mm -hmm. you know, with the uh, absolutely with um, the Obama administration early in the Obama administration, you know, they. Uh, targeted him, had a judge try to declare him legally insane, uh, put him under house arrest, this type of stuff. So I've seen this before, and I'm at the place where no matter what evidence they say they have, well, you know, Mike Lindell's a child trafficker. I don't believe anything you people tell me. You're liars. Mm -hmm. You are liars. You will manufacture evidence. You will manufacture reasons to persecute. This is what this comes down to. This is persecution of conservatives, persecution of Christians. Mike Lindell is an evangelical. Uh, he's a fervent evangelical. His, his story is amazing, mm -hmm. you know, the, what the guy came out of and, you know, where he is. And uh, he's obviously a man of courage. So let's, uh, let's pray for Mike. Absolutely. And I think he said something very important, and that is right now when we see people that are taking the arrows is to 
I know this is going to be ridiculous, but there's a there's a kid show out right now, Cobra Kai, based on the uh, Karate Kid movies. Okay. Okay. Because did you say a kids show? Well, I mean, it's a young adult show, and of course. Oh, well, I feel insulted because I like Cobra Kai. <laughs> I love Cobra Kai. Okay, because you know, some people are like, "Well, isn't that a kid show?" And I have to tell people, "Yes, it's a kid show, but I love it." But it's a young adult, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. we binged it. I like the I like let's just say the first I feel season so much the eighties right references oh. I thought were hysterical. Well. I think that they're through <laughs> season five. We've watched every episode. Yeah. But right now, the only thing I can think of is starting in, I guess, the next to the last or the last episode, um, one of the guys from past movies was brought in and he's teaching the kids and he's teaching them about eggs and what they have to do to guard the egg. And so the very last scene, you see them and they're being attacked from this other coming? group. Is, is there a spoiler? And, and, and all I'm, no, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is a spoiler. I think this is, it is a great, it's a great scene. And all at once, one of the kids yells out, guard the egg. And they all get into formation and they all are facing out against the onslaught that's coming to them. And I thought, that's it. It may be a Cobra Kai reference, but this is exactly what we need to do right now and guard the egg and guard one another and stand firm and not just let them take the arrows, hmm. but also be willing to guard the egg as well and take some of our own. Because so often it seems like there's only like whatever the prominent people are, you're one of them who will get the arrows. And then we go, well, I don't, I don't really know. And people go back underground and yep. that were once standing tall, no, 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 no. This is not for shrinking back right now. Yeah. This is for standing even taller because we have such a great hope, Second Thessalonians says, and that's why we're very bold. Yeah. And, and I think that's the moment right now is do not shrink back is those who have no hope, but no, stand forward. And as Cobra Kai said, guard the egg. I love that. You know, what we need to do on a future show, uh, we need to remember this because well, the way you just described that is an analogy that I use called broken square. And I think we need to, I think, we, but we need some decent graphics for that. So he doesn't have anything to do. We'll give him, we'll give him something to do to come up with the graphics for that. But, uh, but broken square, it's a reference to a British military formation where they would get into a square mm. with their guns aiming outward to protect the center. Mm. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because it's an interesting analogy for our own cultural situation but let's let's plan on doing that in the next okay, show okay let's broken do. square you know what let's take a break and then let's come back and let's talk about helping people what does that actually look like stay tuned no we'll fun. be right back <laughs> <laughs> this is the larry alex taunton show larry is my favorite player <laughs> welcome back as usual, we need a camera in between breaks, okay? So let's talk about helping people because helping people can hurt. Don't. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on what it looks like to help people in a, in a good situation, in a situation that maybe doesn't resolve the way that you think it will? Yeah. What does that look like? You know, I'm very eager to hear what you have to say on uh, this, but I think that as Christians— Often, and we were just talking about <clears throat> me losing my voice. As uh, as Christians, we're called to help people. Um, we are. That's that's part of the gospel, and we're supposed to have a concern for the least of these. Um, I would hope that if I was in trouble, that you would help me. I would would hope that Chris would help me. I would hope that uh, you know Matt, the producer over there, would uh, 
would help me. And, and likewise, I would hope that were you to find yourself in a situation where you needed help, that I as a Christian would do what I should do. Um, the difficulty of that in the real world, and, and, and this conversation comes out of, you know, really just talking over coffee. It's just a worthy conversation, what this looks like for Christians in real life. Because there are far too many Christians, I think, who aren't willing to do the hard work of ministry. And let's face it, ministry, it just, you know, as we were saying on a previous show, life is messy. Mm. And when you're getting involved in the lives of other people, or are they in yours, um, it's kind of roll up your sleeves and be prepared for the fact that not everything is as neat and as tidy as you want it to be. Now, obviously, you you feel best about helping people who are a grateful and where you feel like you're, you're making progress, you know, you're moving in the right direction, but do you ever have those people that you're trying to help and it just feels like you're pouring energy into a black hole? Do you, do you ever experience yes. that? Yes. And you talk and you realize about mm, after five times of having the same conversation, I am just, it is, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And then you begin to ask yourself the question, do they like this? Yeah. What is the payoff for this? Yeah. Or are they down so deep in their hole and in their pit of misery that they can't even see their way out? Yeah. And so then what do you do? But yes, absolutely. There are times when I've had to talk to Chris about a situation in years past, and he's like, you're going to just have to like put a lid on it and just say, listen... I've exp explained to you how I feel or, or yeah. ideas that I think you could, steps you could take to get out of this situation and you choose not to. So I'm going to have to choose not to talk about it anymore. You know, that is, uh, I like the way you put that because it does seem like there are some people who just like the drama. Yes. And there's a difference between the people who like the drama and then the people who really do. They just don't know what to do and they really do want help. And I think there's a difference. Do you think there's yeah, a difference? Yeah, no, I do. I, I think that... I wish, I wish that I, you know, John chapter two, verse 23 says that Jesus knew all men. Um, he, he knew the hearts of mm -hmm. men. And so it's the reason you find in scripture, these non sequiturs, you know, where, you know, um, Nicodemus says to Jesus, oh, you're, you're a, a great teacher. And he says, you must be born again. You know, I think if I'd been standing next to Jesus, I would have said, uh, Jesus, he, he was just telling you you're a great teacher. I think you misheard him. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, right. but he knew what was in his heart. He knew that this was kind of an insincere statement, not because he didn't believe it, because that wasn't the reason he was there. Mm. He was there to search out the answer to the question, am I saved? Mm. Will I be saved? And Jesus answers the question of his heart while ignoring the words coming from his mouth. And it's the same with the woman at the well. It's the same at a, a variety of occasions where Jesus is responding to take Mary, you know, for where she says, we're out of wine. And he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? It is, my time has not yet come. And again, if I'm sitting next to him, I say, look, your mom was just telling you <laughs> there's, we're out of beverages. Right. She didn't say anything about your time, but he knew the intention of her heart. She's saying, when are you going to step to the plate and reveal what the two of us both know is true about you? Yes. When are you going to do that? So Jesus's answer to the question is effectively, wine I can give you, but I'm not revealing my identity here and in this time. That 
is not for you to decide. So he he you know he um, turns water into wine, but he does it privately. If you remember in that mm-hmm. story at the yes. wedding of Cana in John chapter two, so you know I wish you know, that we had that ability because then you would know where you're wasting time and where you're not, who is sincerely seeking help. What is it that they really want and that we can help them? But again, I always say to myself, when I have someone who is seeking my help and and we did quite recently, I always put myself in the place of that person because I think, would I help me? You know, would I? Yeah. I don't want to be that guy who turns someone aside, who genuinely needs help. But I rejected it. And Scripture tells us that we entertain angels unaware. And I don't want to find myself getting to heaven and saying, "You know what? I sent that guy that you just thought was a guy was an angel." It's just a real test of your of your faith, of your commitment to the things that you say you believe. And guess what? You rejected him. You didn't, you didn't give him anything. But I think we have to warn people to expect that at times you will be taken advantage of. Have you ever been taken advantage of in trying to help someone? I, I feel like I have. And it's not any, and it's more of a taking advantage of, of time, um, of good graces, taking advantage of. And then you have to realize, wow, I'm going to look like a real jerk here. But when you set boundaries, that's always... Which are important. Which are important. If you're dealing with those people and your intention is to help, then part of that help is to put up boundaries and to see how they respond. Because yeah. some people will bump up against the boundaries yep. and then they'll try to find a way through the gate that's broken in the back. And then others will respect it. And those are the ones that I feel like you can deal with a little bit better because they're like, okay, I see it. I respect it. I'm willing to work within these parameters. Um, But I also am like you. I want to help people. I want to not be turned away. Also, I'd like to see an angel unaware, which I know will never be aware, but the idea of that, I have that in my kitchen over my window is that serving strangers because who, you know, who knows if you've attended somebody that's an angel. Um, I don't know. I think it's very important. But boundaries, I think there's other two other things. Number one is wisdom mm-hmm. and and being wise. And when the Holy Spirit is nudging you, A, to help listen, but B, if you're not supposed to help, equally listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's very important. I think having your spouse involved, whether it is in your case, uh, Chris, your husband, or or me uh, with my wife Lori, because um, sometimes they bring additional wisdom yes. to it and a perspective that you don't always see. Um, sometimes one or the other of you might be, you know, somebody might be taking advantage of you, and that other person can see more clearly yes. um, what you what you do not. And sometimes you're establishing, you're helping that person, but establishing boundaries as to what that's going to look like and how that all plays out, but. You know, I'm mindful of a scene from uh, Les Mis, uh, both the novel and in in most of the films. I think I've I've seen several because I love that story, uh, and that is where Jean Valjean has been released from prison, and uh, he can't get a job. People are you know pelting when they see him coming because he has to carry you know the convicts you know, letter stating who he is. And, uh, and so he's kind of branded, you know, as like the Mark of Cain, you know, as mm-hmm. he goes from town to town and as he's sleeping on a park bench, someone or the, the ground, somebody says to him, you know, why are you here? You know, haven't you, uh, you know, 
why don't you why don't you get some help? And he says, I've tried all the doors. I've knocked on every door and no one will help me. And they say, have you tried that door? And that, of course, is the priest where he goes to. And in that story, what is true to life is that priest in a very Christian way gives him uh, a food, he gives him a bed, and Valjean steals from him. And um, and then eventually, you know, that priest forgives him. It's it's the most powerful scene in the whole book, actually. But I I like the way that's portrayed because you could look back and say, well, that priest was very foolish. And I would say to you, um, maybe, but. I think God will honor him, meaning we can always yes. establish a boundary that just says, look, we're not going to help anybody. That way, no one ever takes advantage of me. I think I think that real Christianity is such that you need to expect to be taken advantage of. Hmm. It's going to happen. And I think it's Luke 16, you know, where Jesus is telling the story of the shrewd manager, and he says, you know, the 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 sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with men than are the sons of light. That, the, the, the children of light. And we as Christians are not as devious as are the, the sons of this world, the children of this world. They're much more devious. And it's why we often find ourselves, you know, on the, the, uh, um, the, the, the weaker side mm -hmm. of the cultural debate. Right. But I think it's, it's where the Lord would have us be. I love what Jesus says to um, Nathaniel. And uh, and that's when he's when he's under the tree, and um, he says, "Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile." Mm -hmm. What a wonderful compliment! Yes. Because Jesus is saying, "There's, there's no you're you're not a schemer. It's just your your question is so brutally honest." You know, he says, "What good has ever come out of Nazareth?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just said it. He just says to it. the King of Glory. <laughs> he said it to the King of Glory, and I love how Jesus responds to that, which I think. The Bible has humor. I can see Jesus smirking a bit there yeah. and thinking, I'd like this about you, Nathaniel. You just say what's in your head. Mm -hmm. There's 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 no intrigue in you. And as Christians, we want to be that way. We don't want to be schemers. We don't want to be people who are full of intrigue. We don't want to be people who are full of guile. And that does mean that on occasion we will be taken advantage of. But I don't think that when Judgment Day comes, the Lord's going to be angry with you for that. He's going to reward you mm -hmm. for that. So roll up your sleeves and engage with, with people who need help. And, and don't just do it. Christians are very good, I think, you know, right out of the gate. There's a needy person we hear at our church and we go over and we take them some food and we drop off some clothes and we write them a check and boom, we're gone. And we don't see it through for the long haul. Don't, don't you think that we're kind of good that I agree with way? that. I think we're, we're excellent from the jump. But then when it comes to the fourth quarter, they're like, where did y'all go? Yeah. Where, what's happening here? Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. And I also really like your point about the the honesty of Nathaniel, and that was something that I was thinking of while you were talking, is just also praying for that gift of being honest. Mm -hmm. Because I think we all suffer from a fear of, well, if I say this, then that. But being a person that is honest, that is truthful, that tells the truth with love, obviously, but love is truth and truth is love. Um, but I love that. I love that. Um, that's a great story of Jesus and Nathaniel. 
And does anything good come out? <laughs> it's just so I've good. I've thought that about Auburn many I mean, times. Shazam. <laughs> I know. Bless your heart. Highway 280, best thing that ever came out of Auburn. <laughs> it's I'm true. I'm just kidding, our Auburn <laughs> listeners. It's uh, it's Larry Taunton at. <laughs> uh, all right, look, when we come back, we're going to talk about immigration. Yes. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. So welcome back. There is, are you laughing because your chair's leaning back? <laughs> you know, can I, you make fun I just, I just <laughs> found the button where I can go, whoa, way back here like this, which will irritate Matt, the producer, because you, you'll you hear me, you know, it's like I'm riding off into sunset. Hello, everybody. I'm getting further, further, further away. But anyway. That's his favorite right there. I like that. What you just this did. Is, this is my spot right yeah. here. I need to put, you know, we just need a boom mic. Actually, <laughs> so could we like here. rig one up that just comes I'll, down I'll and then we can. put my legs up on the. Uh, like the, it's a true coffee table yes. that's not five feet off the ground. <laughs> I think we should do it. Let's have like one show is irritate Matt the entire show show. I like his, that idea. His head was just in his hands. Yep. I his don't head think will he, explode. I don't think he appreciates that as much as we do. So uh, uh, we will have to wear shirts that are the coats busiest or whatever that, shirts we have. Even you know, busier than that, stripes. Yes, plaid. Done. It will it will go crazy roll with tide. the HD cameras. Hey, roll Tide. Yes, roll of Tide. Course. Okay, so <laughs> I know to the Longhorns. Horns down. Horns down. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because my darling girl really is at seen. West Virginia. She hadn't taught me how to do the. I think it's was it Horns down. Horns down. Horns down. Uh, and also go Mountaineers. All right, look. So immigration. We. This is that issue that never seems to go away because yeah. no one actually wants to deal with it. And because immigrants aren't going away. They're not going away. No. So what do we do? Well, you know, this has been an issue that I've been thinking on for a very long time because it feels to me like no one has been thinking on this in, in the right way. Uh, so that, for instance, you had a guy like David Platt, you know, who, as I understood David Platt's position, it seemed to be you know, kind of flirting with an open border kind of policy that we as Christians, you know, just need to love everybody and and let everybody in. Um, I I don't think that's a that to me doesn't make any sense because he's confusing, you know, our position as Christians with with a governmental you know position. You know, our government isn't Christian. It's we don't live in a theocracy. Uh, and does David Platt just let everybody come through his front door? You know, there is a level, we were just talking about helping people. Mm -hmm. This is actually, it wasn't by design, but this is actually a nice segue because does helping immigrants mean letting just anybody come in the country? Well, if we, if we continue the path that we're on, America will be a third world country and we won't be able to help anybody. Mm. We won't be able to help anybody. And I just use the example of, you know, of, of your front door, because to me, that's the right analogy. You have to have a certain kind of gatekeeping policy, right? I mean, Chris Shaver, I'm sure, doesn't let just any, any, uh, um, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry through the front door because he has wife and children um, to protect. He has property to protect, and so he wants to know, you know, who are you? What do you want? There must be some level of trust before you let that person, 
you know, come into the country. Also, I, I think that it's important to understand that many of these immigrants don't really want to come to America, meaning they love their own countries. They want to stay. I've, I, I, the reason I've spent so much time in South America is because I began with a series on immigration. I, I was writing a series for the American Spectator called The Immigration Crisis from the Other Side of the or the border crisis from the other side of the border. Okay. Because I wanted people to understand we we're only seeing the problem once it's across the Rio Grande. But what what does it look like on that side? Who are these people? Why are they coming here? What is driving them northward according to CNN? It was because of global warming. I mean, sheer nonsense. The, the reason they want you to buy into the global warming narrative is it fits the larger macro right. you know, narrative that, that they're pushing, that uh, you know, hysteria and fear over, um, over the environment, but also because the real reason has to do with something that they're actually promoting here, and that's socialism. So that, for instance, many of these uh, immigrants are coming from Venezuela, uh, most of them, uh, well, let's just say this, I think a plurality of those who are coming across our border are coming out of Venezuela, those who are coming from South America in any case. And Venezuela has been devastated by Marxist policies. Now we're going to start seeing a lot of Colombians because Colombia has been sort of on an upward trend. <clears throat> still a third world country, still vast corruption, but the Colombia of today is a very different Colombia of 30 years ago. But now they've just elected, whether it was a fair election or not, I don't know, but they've just elected a Marxist. And this Marxist is very tight with Maduro in uh, Venezuela. He's going to turn Colombia into the next Venezuela. And guess what that means? That means there will be even more immigrants. So again, part of my purpose here is that if you, know, if you own you know, your property is being stampeded you know, by cattle, you'd be asking yourself, what's going on over there yes. that's causing them to come in this direction? Right. Is there a brush fire? Are there poachers? You know, what's going on? And, uh, and so I went to South America to see what the reasons are. And the reasons, as I say, are really socialism. It's what's driving it. So when you talk to these people, they'll tell you they, they want to live in their own country, but it's become untenable for them because they can't get a job. They can't feed their families. Many of them will tell you that they're feeding, they're living off of one or two meals a day. You know, the average Venezuelan in the last year or so has lost 40 pounds. Oh my goodness. Because of the lack of food. So what do you think those people are going to do? So I think they're, that real compassion is the order of the day, but in helping them to remain in their own countries right. rather than bringing them to the United States. And I think also a real genuine concern here is how many of the people who are entering the country are people who actually share our values. And I think the answer to that is that there are many who do. Right. I think most South Americans are, they're not exclusively coming from South America, but most South Americans come from a kind of a broadly Catholic, pro-family um, background. Many of them have a very good work ethic. Uh, they're making the journey all the way to the United States without any government assistance. I would swap, you know, dozens of Democrats for, you know, for some of these people because many of them really are remarkable people. But there are also a lot of Muslims, you know, coming into the country. A lot of people who do not share um, our cultural heritage and are bent on destroying it. Yes. So, 
you know, that's my reaction. I mean, how do you react to it when you see that you see these pictures of tens of thousands of people crossing the Rio Grande? How do you how do you respond to that? I've, it feels cruel that the situation is being used by the Democrats to a say that there's no crisis at the border. Don't believe your lying eyes. It feels cruel to the people that are coming over that they, though they blame Republicans, are being used as pawns in their little game. Yes, uh, to get voters. It seems very cruel to not treat them well. It seems very cruel not to find out if families actually belong together. As a mother of three girls, I see those heart, those pictures of little children coming over. We don't know if they're with their family or not. We don't yeah. know if they were just taken with their wolf to get across, and this is their family, pretend family, until they get separated again. I'm very concerned about the human trafficking element of it all. Um, but the dishonesty, the level of dishonesty and deceit that Democrats are willing to go to to keep these people coming across the border so that they can get their voters, they can get their pictures, um, like, you know, AOC at the border crying yeah, in a, so a pretend landia yeah. as if she's going to do anything about it. And then the flip side of it is they are losing their mind when they're sent to their communities. And, oh, as if you're going to send them to Chicago, yeah. really? Or as if you're going to send them to New York and you're going to send them to Kamala Harris's home in D.C. So there are so many elements of it, but really the word that comes to my mind is cruelty for the people that are being used, but also there's compassion yeah. because they really do want a better life and they really are escaping. So I'd really like to ask the Democrats, when you see these people coming over and you know they're coming from Venezuela, Chris went on a mission trip years ago. The very next year is when Maduro was elected. And he loved it so much. He went to Venezuela. He went to Venezuela with the uh, medical ministry there and worked a clinic, and they were you know, outside of the main city. Um, but he said it was amazing. It was Caracas. beautiful. Thank you. Couldn't remember that. Um, you know, and so I would like to ask the Democrats, why are these people fleeing their country? Let's talk about that because you guys want to do it's the very— warming. Yeah, of course, duh, dummy. Yeah. You know, I'd like to talk to them about that. Yeah. Like, why are they coming across and why are only certain people in Venezuela getting the nice things? That's because those are the people that are in power. Yeah. Everybody else are buying and selling on the black market. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's so many things, but I think compassion and cruelty together— um, and that nobody really has a heart to actually deal with it, which mm -hmm. also bothers me because I think Republicans need to be, they need to guard the egg here too. And we need to enforce the laws that are on our books. And it's going to make people look really bad to say that for years we've let this go. We haven't done anything about it. And now suddenly we must do something about it or we will turn into a third world country. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, um, AB, because I... I think that um, we have to have a sensible immigration policy. And where I feel that Democrats and Republicans, obviously, just as you've pointed out, Democrats are very disingenuous on this. The the images of AOC weeping at the border like me, she cares. Like she cares. She does not care. No. You were going to say something there? No, I'm just her, her picture oh, at the yes. border. Like this. Yes. Yeah. It's, Decked out in all white. Yes. And uh, and I love the memes, you know, of that, which are <laughs> which are so funny. I should have used one at, for for Texas fans after the uh, the Texas game. You know, put a, put a Texas Longhorn shirt. There's on still her. time. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> That'd be great, Matt. Could you make that happen for me? Matt is a Texas fan. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, but. Here you have Democrats saying this. On the other hand, what the message that 
that potential immigrants to South America are getting is that Republicans want no one. Yes. And uh, I think that's the wrong message, too, I because, I mean, we just had last week on our show John uh, Ruchameza, the an immigrant from Rwanda. Do we want John here? Yes, we do. Yes. I, I like John a lot. John has come here. And again, he's an example of what I'm talking about, because John will tell you he's fairly typical in his outlook of many African immigrants to this country where he says most of us are naturally conservative. We don't come here to want to live off the government dime. We we want opportunity and we're going to grab it with both hands. Those kind of immigrants, um, I'm delighted yes. to see in this country. I'm delighted to see them flourish. I'm delighted to see them have real opportunity and they value often the constitution uh, and the freedoms they have here more than many, you know, uh, homegrown, you know, Americans. So it isn't that we don't want any immigrants, it's that we want a sensible immigration policy. And I feel I feel very sorry for those people who live on the border whose homes are being really invaded. And whenever they try to protect themselves, you have the heavy hand of the federal government yes. coming down on them saying, how dare you attempt to do this? But this brings us to a new segment in the show. And maybe we should take a break and come back to that. I think we should. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Well, bless your heart. So as usual, Larry has invented a great segment. Yes, it is the bless your heart segment. And actually you invented it because I guess I did. I, I guess uh, uh I don't know, however many shows ago it was, <laughs> your ABS moment was um bless your heart. The way that's used and the way it's used in the South, if you don't know, I've actually Lori and I, it's very funny since you did that segment, we catch ourselves every time we go <laughs> to say it. And then we find ourselves evaluating whether it's a positive or negative right. use because in the South, if you haven't grown up in the South, uh, the American South, you might not know this, but Southern women, and you do it beautifully. Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless your heart is a way that it can be used negatively and it can be used positively. Sometimes it's a way of just showing, showing sympathy. You know, I walk in the door with a broken leg and you say. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. It's a way of and, showing. Oh my goodness, are you okay? That's we right. We follow it up. You know, um, you know, it's a way of expressing, you know, concern um, for someone. But sometimes it's a way of saying that guy is so stupid. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be a way of just slicing someone to pieces with a smile on your face. Well, this segment, the bless your heart segment, which is new, we introduced it today on the show. We will always mean it in the negative. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. Going forward, just if you have any doubt. Just to be clear. Just to be clear, we are using it to slice someone to pieces. And today, our Bless Your Heart segment deals with, it's a nice segue. We go from immigration to... Immigration in Martha's Vineyard. In Martha's Vineyard. Why don't you tell us what's happened in Martha's Vineyard? Well, there's a delightful little soul up there. <laughs> and bless his heart. Uh he is the representative for that area, for the state house in Massachusetts. And he is a Twitter that 50 immigrants have been dumped off in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, who and, sent them there? And uh, could we Ron just DeSantis. vote for him for Ron president DeSantis. already? Ron DeSantis. 
I'm a DeSantis fan. Um, but he sent them there, you know, with a warm welcome and some wishes for the people of Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and they are beside themselves. I guess offering tea and, and crumpets to them is not enough. Or as you said, the bottles of champagne that they may have lying around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, would you like something to drink? Uh, the Vueve Clico for them? Let's it's give a great them, bottle of champagne, by the way. Let's, let's give them, you know, some of the... The, oh. you know, the lesser wine stock, you know. Yes, let's, I mean, this one's only $100 a bottle. Let's and, give them some clam chowder. And I'll give you my leftover Lululemon, <laughs> um, the leggings that were $120. You may have those. And so you see today that there's for immediate release. Okay, everyone, get ready for this. Martha's Vineyard Humanitarian Response. We continue, and they list all the things they continue to provide, um, but they are grateful for their help. Um, they want to direct all the resources, inquiries to a certain organization, but really what they're upset about is they don't think these people should be there because they don't have enough infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. And what's so funny is, <laughs> what? have you seen... I, I, uh, I want to say that, and I can't remember the town, but the, the specific Texas town doesn't matter but it was something like, let's say, McAllen, Texas. And it has population of McAllen, Texas. And then it says number of immigrant uh, engagements, you know, or something like that, uh, encounters, 49,000. And then it says Martha's Vineyard population, number of, of immigrant encounters, 50. <laughs> <laughs> because Ron DeSantis, what he did was he put these, these immigrants on a, on a, a flight, sent them, to Martha's Vineyard, and it's his way of saying, uh, because he's now he's actually copying, you know what is being done. Is it is it's not Arizona who's who sent them? Who is it? Who is it's it's Texas. That's right. It's uh, it's Governor uh, Greg Abbott mm -hmm. from Texas who is sending them to D.C. and sending them to New York, and right. they're acting like they're having a complete meltdown because of this. Well, DeSantis took a page out of uh, Governor Abbott's playbook, and he sent these fifty to Martha's Vineyard. And it has been nothing short of sheer comedy because the response of the people in Martha's Vineyard, you have to go and watch this. Some of the videos are just They're hysterical. Outstanding. They really are because you <laughs> this this I've been thinking, gosh, this would make a wonderful um you know, sitcom. Right. It would make a wonderful comedic, you know, movie. You could even make a rom com out of it. You know, you know, uh, immigrant. You know, falls in love with you know hoity toity. You know, it could happen. Karen and Martha's Vineyard, <laughs> and uh, it could be so funny. But their response to this: these are leftists who are elitist to the core. Yes. And while I, you know, listen, I don't, I don't go for the whole um, white privilege bit. Except for with people at Martha's Vineyard. Yes, yes. These people are snobs. These people are leftists to the core. They are people who have Black Lives Matter, you know, signs all in their yard. They're people who are Biden voters, but they say, we don't want those people with skin color that's not like ours, and they're not from our demographic. They don't belong to us. They shouldn't be here. Send them back. They want them in your communities, ladies and gentlemen. That's where they want them. They want to put them in your communities. And these people do not live... Okay, I mean, they are hypocrites to the core. Yes, they're liars, and they're, all of them. And, and see, I would love to see us drop 10,000, 20,000 yes. of them in Martha's... How many 
bedrooms does Barack Obama have in his 10? Probably. I think I've been told there are 10. 10 bedrooms. 10 bedrooms in his home. Do you know how many families you could fit in there? He could fit a lot of families in his home there. Let's see Let's see Barack Obama step to the plate with um, with all the money he has. Let's, let's see Joe Biden do it. Let's see all these lefties do it. Because at the end of the day, I'm reminded of a line from the Brothers Karamazov where, yes, don't say it, but uh, but where I think of things like this, where Fedor Dostoevsky says, and I'm paraphrasing, liberals, the typical liberal loves humanity in general, not in the specific. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Um, I mean, we, we love the idea of humanity, but when we actually, we love the idea of the poor until we actually meet one who needs our help. And then we say... You know, you picture them with sweaters tied around their necks. <laughs> I mean, they've just come out of their morning coffee. And I would just like one of them to go up to someone leaving their, I think it's uh, Soul Cycle class, yeah. and just ask them, I thought that y'all are listed as a sanctuary city. Yes. I mean, there's that. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it is calling them out and they hate it. And their only response is... And they're embarrassing themselves. They're so embarrassing. So if anyone's running for office, just collect these as a montage. If it isn't turned into a sitcom or a rom-com. And, um, this, you should know, be because a Trump, this should be a Trump commercial. This should be a commercial. And you Here's just the play left. it on a loop like we see the yes. commercials during college football. And just play it and play it and play it and play what like, they're like saying. Like the guy we were talking about earlier with the, yes. deer, the deer beating him up. I want to see a Please. video like this go viral. It'd be a great... It'd be a great presidential, you know, video showing here's the left putting hands and feet to their um, their their particular worldview and their response. It, you know, if, if if Saturday Night Live weren't so leftist, they would have so some funny. clever people who would come up with some very clever skits for this because their response has been. I mean, how do I want to put it? They, they, their, their response has been more than predictable. You would have thought they would say, look, well, you know what they're trying to do to us here? You know what we're going to do? We're going to roll out the red carpet. We're going to take these people. Maybe we only take them into our home for you know just a photo op, but we're going to give the impression that we're... Instead, they have played into conservatives' hands perfectly in this by showing who they really are, mm. hypocrites. Right. It has been unbelievable, and it's it, when I saw the uh, state representative last night whining on TV about all of the immigrants, I thought, you are a giant, big, fat liar. And if there are people on the left who do not feel this way, then somebody please stand up. Please. Yeah. Or start taking people into your home. <clears throat> you know, But I'm, do something. I'm starting to conceive of a show <laughs> called Real Housewives of Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I'll sign up, please. And, uh, you know, their reactions to this. And, uh, you know, remember how they responded to the, and I don't remember their names. And I, was it in St. Louis? The family that stood, the husband and wife who stood uh, in front of their home yes. with the, with the, uh, the AK, uh, it's not the AK 47, with an AR, uh, AR. AR 15 standing out there to defend their home, mm -hmm. which, by the way, I think they were wise to do and right to do. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Even though they were absolutely, uh, uh, you know, mocked by the left and then a, accused of criminal activity because that was a Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, march through their community. Uh, they've been known to be extremely destructive. They knew they were there to disrupt, and it was their way of saying, 
you're not, you know, you're not going to destroy our stuff. You're not going to threaten us. We're going to, we're going to protect ourselves. But you know, in reality, conservatives, real compassion comes from conservatives inspired by a Christian worldview. Yes. So this is all tying together neatly, and we didn't even know what was going to when we we were putting this show together, but it comes back to talking about helping people, really helping people. My wife and I have in recent weeks, you know, endeavored to help an honest to goodness immigrant to this country. Uh, we just had John on our show who is a refugee, you know, to this country. Uh, and he talks about, you know, he will tell you the many Christians, you know, who reached out and who helped him and who helped his family that's that's what it it really is all about and what it looks yeah. like but that's not what inspires it's not what it animates a leftist worldview at bottom this is all talk it's all sheer you know window dressing it's for show they don't believe any of it it's like AOC weeping on the border mm-hmm. they don't care about these people and they want them definitely out of Martha's vineyard and i've been trying to think of other places where we could send them yeah i think we Aspen. should <laughs> Don't you think that would be so great? Oh, and some skis too. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. I had thought of Aspen. That's a great one. Vale is a uh, is is another. That's perfect. Um, we could send them to Davos, you know, in Switzerland, yes. you know, where oh, the World Economic they Forum. They could means. just hold up like the welcome sign, <laughs> yes, that would be right? Great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I mean, there's so many places we could send. Maybe them. we should put it across the bottom of the screen, you know, that if people were yes. to give, yes, we will put together a caravan and start driving. That you know, we we can't afford, you know, at Fixed Point Foundation, we can't be affording like Ron DeSantis, DeSantis you know, charter jets. But we could possibly put together a few minivans. We could. And load some We could be people. the drivers. <laughs> we could sort of fulfill our, um, you know, our, our Dale Earnhardt, you know, driving experience and combine it with a mission yes. all at the same time. <laughs> we could do it. It's done. That would be perfect. They, yeah. they would both go together very nicely so we can, you know, make a few laps around the track before we head to Vail or uh, before we head to Aspen or a few other of these really snooty places oh, yes. and drop off some immigrants. But unlike those people, we would make sure they have a few bucks. We would make sure that they have, maybe it is, is it called Lululemon? It's called Lululemon. We, you you we, need a lot of bucks for that store. I don't have any Lululemon, but I probably have some stuff from Walmart or from, from TJ Maxx or something that yes. we could give them uh, uh, some money, maybe some Chick-fil-A gift cards. Right. And but then send them in the right direction and say, look, this is where all the lefties live who wanted to bring you to this country, who have promised you a land flowing with milk and honey, and they'll take care of you. They'll take care of you. Just go right over there. Just, Just go right over there. Knock on the door and say, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> is dinner be, ready? That would be great. I, I, I think it should happen. You know, Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis may have just started a grassroots movement of minivans taking immigrants to leftist paradise. You know what? If we see a minivan on the news, <laughs> we know they heard you say that. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll have we'll have to be looking for that. I think it's absolutely got to happen. I think that would be awesome. Okay. Well, you know what? Then everybody has to stay tuned to see if it happens. Okay. So two things before we wrap up today, and that is number one, you touched on it, but we're going to do two things in the coming weeks. One is we really are going to do a deep dive. And if you saw your stack of books, it's actually kind of a leaning tower of Pisa about the great reset. Yep. 
Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Yeah, the World Economic Forum. Um, you know, I, I, we keep teasing this uh, on the show because I'm not quite sure when I'm going to be ready. And uh, see, one, one of the things that, one of the real problems in uh, in media these days is, you know, people really not doing their research, and they're <laughs> saying a lot of things that just simply aren't true because they don't bother doing the research. Have you seen anything about? I don't know how to say your name. Taylor, is it Lorenz? Lorenz. That's yes. how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a whack job this, this woman is. And uh, there's a woman whose, whose name suddenly goes out of my head that she's tried to ruin. And I decided to retreat this woman. I, I don't like bullies on there. And I wish I had a bigger platform than I do, but I try to help and like where mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. And this woman immediately followed me, followed me. And, uh, and I was thinking, I'd love to get her on this show for her to tell her story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because she was a, a woman, had a business um, working with influencers. And this, this woman from the, uh, from the Washington Post, Taylor Lorenz, mm-hmm. uh, sought to destroy her. Destroy her. How awful. And so much of the stuff that she was saying was just simply false. Did you see any of this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. I think, I think the woman's name is Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll see if I can get her to, um, to join fantastic. us. It would, because I, I think she has quite a story to tell. And she she doesn't have a huge platform. So her trying to tell her story on social media, she, she's not getting the, tw- the retweets she needs to really fight back. And she's got the arguments. She just doesn't have the, the, the platform to, um, to go after her. But I, as that relates to what we're talking about with the World Economic Forum, I... I am trying to cover all my bases, and I've been researching this very carefully for months now. And you saw the stack of books because it's just amazing. You know, you you just find yourself going down a rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and then you know it forks into three more. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're you're trying to get to the bottom of the ideology that's driving it, and you're also trying to get to you know background on its founder Klaus Schwab and this is something that's interesting i think it was last week i said if anybody can give me a working definition of fascism yes. um that does not apply first and foremost to the left uh, i've issued that challenge i've yet to have anyone take me up on it and uh and, that's and, such and a provide big that. it's such a shock so um you know fascism is going to be uh, a part of this but daily wire has asked me to do a three part series on this okay and uh, we'll see if they end up publishing it, but they've asked me to do it, and and I have no reason to think they wouldn't publish it. But it's going to aspects of it are going to feel fairly academic, and I may need a larger word count than they actually want to give because we're talking about gargantuan ideas, and it's not the sort of thing you can deal with in your typical you know six eight hundred word column. It's uh, it's a big deal, but I'm planning to do this at least for them, not not on this show. I'm going to start with explaining, you know, really what Marxism and fascism are. And I'll give you a clue. The new Marxism is fascism. And I'll explain later what I mean by that. Fascinating. The new Marxism is fascism. I'm going to make the argument that fascism, you know, we've always been taught that fascism is an expression of the extreme right and Marxism is, is an expression of the extreme left. I'm going to argue, no, they are both expressions of the left and that Marxism leads to fascism. And that's what we're seeing with the, the World Economic Forum. And this matters because you need to know what the ideology, ideology is that you're combating. So I'm going to start with that. 
explaining that, that will lead into a segue discuss, discussing, excuse me, you know, it sounds like I, uh, I, I had oral surgery today. And, <laughs> and you did not. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I didn't. But um, Klaus Schwab um, will be part two. And then part three is the World Economic Forum, who they are and what their goals are. But a fascinating aspect of this, Amy Beth, is I have never, and again, you know, I, I come from a, um, a, a somewhat academic background. And um, so I've done tons of research. I've written many articles. I've written multiple books. Uh, my, my graduate thesis was on a, an admiral in the United States Navy and, uh, you know, going and you know, researching all aspects of his life. I could find his military records. I could find, you know, records of battle. I could find his uh, Naval Academy records. I could find the papers he wrote at the Naval War College because they had been, he'd written too, which was unusual, and they'd been declassified. So I could get access to all of this. Now, this is, was a figure who wasn't a major admiral in World War II. He was a minor admiral that most people haven't heard of. Klaus Schwab is a major global figure on whom I can find almost nothing. And I've had two researchers working on this, good ones, who keep coming back to me and saying, we can find almost nothing. Look at his Wikipedia page. There's, and by the way, I hate Wikipedia. Wikipedia, when people cite it, I sneer because Wikipedia is, is not a source of truth. doesn't mean it doesn't have elements of truth, but it's not a source of truth. And it's it's carefully guarded, often by atheist gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And I would argue with you that Schwab's Wikipedia page has a number of very aggressive monitors whose job it is to knock off of there yes. anything that that he that they don't want mm -hmm. on there mm -hmm. because his Wikipedia page is actually, you know, it's bland. It doesn't offer anything. And you're thinking, how can a figure that is as significant as this have almost nothing? You go to Conservapedia, which would have a different agenda. Right. It skips from, I think, 1968 to 2014. There's That's this weird. huge That's gap in his life. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but there's real conspiracy going mm. on with this. So we're going to talk about Klaus Schwab, who he is. What are you going to say? Well, it makes you think it's, well, no, I, that makes my blood run cold. Oh, oh I want to hear what you're going to say. Well, is he a robot? Is he an automaton? Like, what is this? <laughs> but no, seriously, I am very excited. What I really wanted to say was then get on it because we need those articles because people have questions. We have people that I really have a lot of respect for who still don't believe and they still fail to see the magnitude and the weight of the Great Reset. They don't understand the World Economic Forum or they think it is all poppycock and balderdash and it get isn't. your tinfoil hat because you're seen as a I will conspiracy it, theorist. It and it isn't, and I cannot wait. And so that's what I wanted to say was I'm excited that you're going to take this on and talk about it. It's going to be very valuable. You know, the hard thing with it, Amy Beth, is that I've been, you know, been ready to sit down at my computer several days. And as you know, we've been dealing with mm -hmm. this, with this other mess, um, with a genuine immigrant um, that has kind of sidelined me from doing some of the stuff that I want to be doing. But every time I go to sit down to write this, and there has to be a place whenever you're doing research and writing. I love what Samuel Elliott Morrison, a you know a, a Pulitzer Prize winner of of a previous generation, said. At some point, you must write. Yes. You know, there's there's comfort in going back to the library. The problem is that this topic, as I say, is so gargantuan. The ideas are so gargantuan that you find yourself going, 
okay, there's a reference to who this, who is this figure? Mm. Who is this figure? What's going on with this? So I'm, I'm getting, I'm hoping this weekend I can churn out the first article, but the way they do this at Daily Wire is they want the first article to drop Two days later, the next article to drop, oh, wow. and then two days after that, the next. So I need to really have conceived all of them, all of them at the same mm-hmm. time, so that I don't, you know, get behind. But anyway, listeners, viewers don't care about that, but that's part of the issue that's going on here. But we'll eventually get to that. We will, and we'll also <laughs> get to uh, last but not least, and you know, you say his name, and everybody will tune in. Is David Limbaugh? This I like David. Very Limbaugh. exciting. David is a good guy. David is, if the name sounds familiar, he is the brother of Rush Limbaugh. David is a humble guy. He has a book out with his daughter, um, and uh, he's helping her promote it. And he's done everything from Sean Hannity, variety of other places. And he'd like to come on our show. I'd love to have him in studio. And someday I think we'll get David in studio, but this will be a. This will be a call-in interview with um, Dave. David is a character. Meeting Dave, David is a funny guy. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, we were at Mar-a-Lago and someone shouts to me. I mean, like across a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going up to get a, I don't know, like a mimosa or something for Lori. And I hear, is that Larry Taunton? You know, <laughs> shouting from across. And, you know, I was hoping it was going to be Donald Trump. Um, but sadly, it wasn't. It was better. It was it was David Limbaugh, and David has a very good sense of humor. He is uh, he's a uh, in addition to being a um, a writer, he's a uh, he's a lawyer, and uh, we're going to get David on here to talk about his latest book, and we're gonna we're also going to talk to him a little bit about his brother. And I say we, unfortunately, you're going to be suffering. You know, I think really suffering. I think you're going to be suffering somewhere like maybe in the Bahamas or something like that when I have David on the show. But we'll get him back on, Please on another do. occasion. Please give him my best. He, you know, I I love what he writes. I love when I've heard him in interviews, and I think this book will be fantastic. Yeah. So I hate that I'm missing out, but if I'll bake cookies <laughs> if he'll come back. <laughs> it will be great. Well, you can... You can bake them anyway. So. I'll bake cookies and I'll actually stop and bring donuts. Yeah, that would be good. We'll, we'll see who uh, has them. So uh, basically, for our wonderful audience, there's a lot to look forward yep, to. there is. So you don't want to miss a Big thing. Ideas. Make sure that you have subscribed so that you're getting the late breaking, yep. all of the new stuff. Um, and then like it, share it, spread the word, because we Larry, know that this is Alex spreading the word. Taunton. I thought he com. was dead. <laughs> but stay tuned. Don't miss out on anything. And we will see you next time. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen. We are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?